0: We saw it during the crisis in 2020, when people could not evict tenants, it got absolutely skewed the other way. And some people like fire sold some properties because they're like, this person isn't paying rent and I can't pay my mortgage. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars.
1: Hey, Real Estate Rockstars. This is Kelly Skevel, guest host with Aaron for the State of the Market today.
0: Yeah. Hello, Real Estate Rockstars. (laughs) Kelly, thanks for coming back again.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited as always.
0: As always, the Kelly and I were hanging out in Nashville just the last couple of days. We were at a, a fundraiser out there that's near and dear to my heart, and it was fun. We got to uh, we had some other real estate people out there. Brandon Turner was out there with us. Yeah. Parker Touchton was out there with us. We got to talk real estate and fun stuff and see Nashville. It's only my second time to Nashville. Yes, Have you been there many times before?
1: That was my second time. So much fun. I love it there. It's my favorite city so far that I've seen, visited.
0: You guys were staying in a like an Airbnb, right? Yeah. But the Airbnb is downtown. I remember Nashville over the last several years. Last time I was there, I stayed in a, an Airbnb that was a friend of mine, but at that time they were getting fined once a day, every day for having short-term rentals because Nashville was kind of anti short-term rental for a while. Yeah. And um, what tell us about the one where you guys stayed at because it's not your normal short-term rental, right? Yeah.
1: It's not like a little house or a little condo. It was, so it was right off the street. I forget what this is right around the corner. It's right off of Broadway. And I could mess this up because Matt was the one that explained it to me, but it's, it's like a bunch of little apartments that were built. And I think Airbnb got some variance and actually built a building and then sold the units off to individual people. So it's, it's a you know um, zoned as an Airbnb, and we stayed there last time. So we were in Nashville almost a year ago, and we stayed there last time and loved it. It was newer then. It's really reasonable, the rates are reasonable. Like it's really nice in there. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. And I I actually was trying to last night Google real fast like what the latest regulations are there, and I couldn't really find anything since like it was either 2019 or 2020. Like there weren't really a lot of updates on what was going on down there.
0: Yeah. I wonder too, the, I'm going to do a little thing, a little search to see what I can figure out. It's, it would make sense for them to make a, so the arguments against Airbnb are usually, there's too many people living next door to me. There's parties late night. I wanted to live in a nice, normal neighborhood. And now people are coming out here for bachelor parties and bachelorette parties Yeah. and there's no way to park. So I could see them um, actually like the one where you stayed at. It's almost like a hotel. It was right a block away from our hotel. And I could see most of the arguments against Airbnb. If you've got a whole building that's like these are individually owned, but all of them are kind of that Airbnb hotel style. Um, maybe it's because they made sure there was a certain amount of parking or something. I could see that being the option. Yeah. Right now it says you can get a um, you know, in Nashville, it says short-term rental property permit information. L- law requires anyone wishing to rent a property on short-term rental websites such as Airbnb must receive a permit from Metro Code's department. It says there are two types, owner-occupied and non-owner-occupied. And new non-owner-occupied STRP permits, oftentimes investor-owned, are only permitted in certain non-residentially zoned areas. Ah, that would make sense. Land use. So that would make a lot of sense. So maybe it is still illegal out in those residential parts, but where you guys were, it's down in this kind of heavy commercial area and said, yeah, in non-residentially zoned areas, and it shows the district land use table, uh, new permit requirements and steps. Rules. Once permitted, you have certain rules, or you may lose your permit. Yeah. They pay extra taxes, they must renew their permit every year. Mm. So so maybe Nashville kind of solved their issue. My friend ended up selling his properties out there because it had I think it had gone up enough. But when they were running Airbnbs, it was very profitable for them. But it was also before the housing market like really started taking off. In twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, if you bought if you owned something then, I mean last year it would have been worth a lot more. Yeah. See them (laughs) saying time to Get rid of it. So, so you're in North New York, right? Like, what's the market doing up there right now?
1: Um, upstate New York. So, we slowed down a little bit, you know, going into December. Um, but I was just, I was looking up the stats, uh, right before we got on, and we're still at a like, oh, list to sale price percentage of like 101 percent days on market. It's still like around 13, 1.6 month supply. Like, we're still, it's still a seller's market and people, houses that are well priced are still moving quickly.
0: All of the stats in like Travis County and Austin are the same. We're seeing months of inventory going up slightly, but it's still like at one and a half months of inventory and compared to where people are like, man, it feels so much slower. Um, We've been talking about this for the last couple of months. And then when we were in Nashville, I was telling you a lot about the feeling a year ago. And I think right now people should be thinking about that. Like in your, in your local market, Think back to about a year ago in December 2020 in, in December twenty twenty or like January 2021, it was feeling a lot like this. Uh, it was a little slower. Um, we had just had like a year of these kind of record sales or essentially nine months of these record sales. And people were starting to feel like, hey, will the market keep going or not? And we started buying a lot of stuff uh, January 2021. And when we were buying it, people thought we were totally overpaying still. And so I think even though it's feeling like a slowdown, if I had to predict you know, where we'll be sitting a year from now, um, I would say we're going to still see some strong growth this year. You can't argue with a month and a half of inventory. Yeah. People can still get loans.
1: Yeah. You guys have money. any
0: appraisal issues up there?
1: Oh my gosh. So I've run into a few where like houses have not an appraised and people, when they were right, a lot of buyers, when they were writing their offers, were putting in that appraisal gap quite a lot. I only like personally with my clients only had a couple on both sides where they didn't appraise. Um, That caught up pretty quickly. What we're really having issues with is there aren't enough appraisers out here. So appraisals are holding up our deals. It takes us 60 to 75 days to close on a normal smooth transaction and we're not getting the Appraisal reports back right away, and the surveyor. So we have to resurvey. I don't know. I know it's different in a lot of in different markets, but we also have to redo surveys every time there's a uh, uh, property sales. and those surveys are moving super slow, almost slower than appraisals. So yeah, it takes it'll take two to four weeks to get an appraisal back, four to six weeks to get this survey done. Wow. I'm not even talking about the
0: banks. Yeah. Your surveys here take a long time. Um, you don't have to do it every time, though. You you can use one from when you bought the property if you okay. still have it. So if they have it, you're able to reuse those. But if you don't have one, or if you bought it at foreclosure, or like a you know any sort of low cost deal where the seller didn't have one, it's a four or five hundred dollar expense, and you yeah. do have to as soon as you buy the property, kind of order one and have it ready because you know cash buyers don't need them, and so sometimes people are like, right. well, I'll save the five or six hundred bucks in case I get a buyer, but then if you get a regular buyer, there's no way you're closing on time if you don't have that survey. I had a really interesting appraisal story um, that happened, happened last night. Uh, it was one that, a deal that I talked to you about. Uh, back in January, I bought these two uh, townhomes right next to each other for $179,000 a piece. They were new construction. We kept getting delays, kept getting delays, kept getting delays. I closed on them a month ago. So I closed on them back in November for $179,000, two side-by-side. I just decided to relist them on the market. I relisted them both at 219.
1: Nice.
0: That's a big change, right? That's a 25%, you know, 20-something percent. Got offers on both of them. So, 219, full price offers, conventional, no credits back, really strong offers. And then the first appraisal just came in uh, at 214. So. Little disappointing, right? Disappointing because that's six thousand dollars, and if I say yes to it, that means the one next door is also going to appraise for two fourteen because now it'll have an exact same plan Right. next door. So I'm having to weigh kind of these other things. So in one sense, I'm thinking I had multiple buyers, multiple offers at two nineteen. It should have appraised. At the same time, the appraiser did see that I closed on it for one seventy nine. You know, less than a month ago, mm-hmm. and so them giving so them giving me two fourteen. It's like a win and a loss. The win is they still gave me a 20% increase on the value. The downside is I really wanted that 22% increase. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet, but that's definitely some appraisal issues like that where it is the appraisals aren't quite catching up with what people are willing to pay.
1: Do you guys have success when you um, push back on the appraisers? When you kind of, uh, like up here, we don't have a lot of success. If we go back and provide proof and market analysis of other properties, you know, you know, really,
0: really. we, we've, I've tried a few times, especially on ones where they were like really, really big issues, right? Like the, we've had some where it appraised like 40 or 50,000 low. And, and when we had the evidence, but even when you've got the evidence, they seem to just stick with yeah. their guns. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I think they, I think they kind of have to based on if, because if, if, if you end up sending a comp where they actually change it, then they're admitting that the first time they didn't do a good enough job.
1: Yeah. I really, yeah.
0: So you'd have to find not uh, people don't like saying, Hey, I made a mistake, you know, like in one sense, people would like ones that are reasonable and want to look at extra things. But yeah, so it's, I think the appraisals not being a, not catching up is still a sign of an appreciating market when the market's going up or it's about to boom. That's a common thing. A lot of people are willing to pay more, but you've got to hold out. If I could hold out for one cash buyer, then my other one will appraise. Um, So now I'm going to have to decide what I'm, what I'm going to do with that. And, um, it's always tough to say. It's like burden a hand. So yeah. I just I messaged back. and said, okay, if they can't come up anymore, like how soon will we close? So is it a matter of I'll get paid tomorrow, but it'll be six thousand dollars less than I was hoping, or uh, will it? You know, or I can wait a month and try to get a better offer. We'll see. Yeah. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui for a quick commercial break. So during 2020 and 2021, the real estate market completely changed. There's so much competition in the market, so many people trying to buy and sell houses, but there's hardly any supply, hardly any product, hardly anyone willing to list their homes. It's time for every agent out there to become a hybrid agent investor to be able to reach out directly to homeowners to try to get them to sell or list their house. We've got a new website. Go to leadpropeller.com and you can set up your own investor buyer website in just minutes. You'll set up your own URL, set up phone numbers, help go through leads, help reach out to people that aren't listing their their property currently, and have them fill out a form that says, hey, I want to sell my house. And then as an agent, you can go through and make them a hybrid offer. You can tell them, hey, I think your house would sell for $220,000 on MLS, but I can either write you a $180,000 cash offer right now, or I can help you fix it up. And you'll list it for 220000 on MLS. These are buyers that are looking for quick cash offers. Tens of thousands are submitting these forms every single day. And they're skipping the listing process. But so many of you guys out there are such good agents. It's a great opportunity to get that lead and help them maximize sales price for their home. So again, go to leadpropeller.com and think about signing up for your own investor site. So buyers will start reaching out to you, asking you to make an offer on their home. Let's see some of these articles you sent over. You've got, yeah. um, which one do you want to talk about first? You sent, you sent me some, I'll share my screen for those that are watching us on YouTube. to see.
1: Do you want to stick with, so I did send over one about short-term rental. So they're, they're two of the articles are super, two of the topics are very local to my area. Yeah. You want, you want to talk about the short-term rental? Sure, right.
0: the town of Ithaca aims to limit short-term rentals with legislation. Yeah. The one?
1: yeah. So this one, it says the town of Ithaca is working, um, Ithaca. So we're in, I'm located in Ithaca, New York, um, and we have the city of Ithaca, and then we have the town, right? So it says the town of Ithaca is working on legislation to address complaints stemming from short-term rental properties. So as of right now, there's really no, there's not any regulation um, on the short-term rental market up here. But we are, um, we're an interesting, we're a very transient um, area because we have two colleges, um, and we're also Uh, like a heavy tourist area because we have a lake and wineries. And so short-term rentals, you know, on the lake are big. And then people, you can even be out in the towns and do really well with short-term rentals because of, again, visiting in the summer and um, families coming to visit their college students. Um, So I'm actually surprised it's taken this long for them to come up with something. Uh, But the article goes, as as a way to address residents' complaints, we decided we needed to have short-term regulations. There are no right none right now. Yeah. So one of the first things they talk about is that you have to um, apply for a permit. hmm And which which I think that's fine, whatever. But one of if you go, I also opened up the, like the whole like legislate the, the whole document. Yeah. And they're saying that. Um, You have to reapply for the permit every year. And before a permit is issued, the code enforcement has to go out and actually tour the property, which seems like a huge burden on code enforcement.
0: Yeah. I think it's a a burden and it probably costs extra money. In Santa Barbara, it used to be if you sold, anytime you sold a house, code enforcement had to come out and make sure you didn't have any illegal modifications. Really? Yeah. And so if you had like a, a something, if you had like an extra room converted, they would make you take it out before selling it. Like any transaction had to happen wow. in the city of Santa Barbara. They, and we actually bought one um, that had a, like a bedroom conversion in it and they made the seller put it back. Well, then it's like a whole different deal because then yeah. you, know, it, like you <laughs> wanted it with that bedroom or not. So you know, code, code enforcement, when they're at things, maybe, maybe that's kind of the idea that they'll get some extra building permit money. What I think they said on here is, is funny it was kind of what I said about Nashville. Goodman said many of the complaints were about renters having loud parties, creating noise issues, causing parking problems, and not properly disposing of trash and litter. So I, I think everybody feels the same way uh, ab- yeah. about ab- about. You know, ev- I love staying in short term rentals. The, I think everybody does. Nobody wants to have the party right next to them.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. I, yeah, I don't disagree with you know the complaints and like, and having some regulations, right? Like I think I think that's okay.
0: Yeah. It's like freedom freedom on both sides. People want to be able to do what they want with their properties. And then other people want to be able to enjoy the properties they live in.
1: Yeah. And we were, uh, our tax rate is like three to three and a half percent up here. So we, we like of the, you know, market value. So we, we have a heavy tax burden up here. So a lot of homeowners will use the Airbnb, they use Airbnb to offset their taxes. They don't, those are the ones that, you know, are renting the house that they live in but so so they go on to say that they describe like an un unho- they talk about unhosted versus hosted so when they talk about the unhosted it's it's non-owner occupied um, airbnbs the people that have bought them they're only issuing two permits per person so you can only have two airbnbs two permits at all time
0: that's probably a bigger part of that news and regulation yeah. right like so my buddy bought a bunch of stuff in nashville right? Like the he was trying to invest and trying to scale. And so I think they're really saying it's okay if people are doing, if people are trying to offset their taxes, if people are trying to make a little bit extra money on the house they're living in, that's okay if they yeah. pay for the permit. But we don't want businesses coming in to Ithaca saying, you know, we're a short-term rental company and we've got a bunch of them.
1: Yeah. It's in, yeah. And then we go on even further to say, you can't, I'm. it's probably, it's down through the article, but you can't, uh, if you have two Two. So if you are, whether you're hosted or unhosted, if you have two units, you can't rent the two units at the same time. So say you like have a duplex and you rent them both, or you have like an ADU, you can't have both units rented and for in a short term rental lease at the same time.
0: That's is- wild. Yeah. That, that's a big, yeah, th- that totally kills the duplex ideas. Or yeah. I mean, so if you own a house and you have an ADU on the back, you can rent it, do it that way. So some regulations, they're going to try. It and it, and I think are going from no regulation to regulation. Do you think that'll affect the, the any of the housing values anytime soon?
1: I don't know. You know, we still there's there's such a, a shortage, right? So if somebody's not in there competing to buy it as an Airbnb, somebody will buy it as their own primary residence. So I don't know that it'll, it'll affect the home prices, but certainly people looking to invest here, right? we'll get yeah. less in, less investors or people. Uh, yeah, I think, you could I temporarily think see some extra
0: listings, right? You could see yeah. somebody has five or six and that's their plan, uh, but maybe they'll, you know, there's probably ways to get, you know, permits for five or six by different people. Depends on how they really define the two. Well, let's jump to another one. You've got another one that was, it says good cause eviction legislation falters temporarily and will be considered again in uh, December. And so there's the front. It shows people outside saying they have a right to renew their leases. Landmark legislation that would significantly strengthen tenant rights locally by forcing landlords to provide certain justifications for evictions will have to wait at least another month for approval. I think a lot of these, when they talk about the just cause for evictions, some people are using like evictions and lease and as something similar, right? I recently told someone, hey, your lease expires in two months and we're not going to be renewing it. And they, uh, they were very upset. They could not believe that they weren't going to have the option to stay. And they're like, and you're only giving us two months. And I'm thinking, I'm, I only need to give you 30 days. The fact that I'm giving you two months lets let you know, we're not renewing, like that's law and that's normal. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be curious if this is, do you, is this, is this for all evictions? It says good cause eviction bill also knows the right to renew is aimed at ensuring tenants do not get Evicted without a landlord, first obtaining an order from a city or a judge, installs protections against certain levels of rent hikes, ugh, and generally lays out in great detail the circumstances under which an eviction can be executed. Dude, rent hikes is, I, man, I am totally against government when they, when they are trying to decide how much you can do. What do you think about that one? What do you know about that one?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So New York State, is it's like no secret, right, that New York State is a tenant-friendly state right so like the, the laws usually favor the tenant. like for example you're talking about you only need to give 30 days notice we have to you can give you can 30 days is fine if they have if their lease is under a year. If they've lived in the property for um, I think it's a year up to 18 months or two years you have to give 60 days and if it's been more than two years you have to give a 90 day notice non-renewal notice. So so yeah it's already it's already I think I feel like we're already strictly regulated here. Um, they're, they're saying that if there's not a good cause, right. So if they're not like breaking the law, then they should have the right to renew without, without the landlord's input.
0: Yeah. The quote says, I do believe that, uh, that the bar for removing a tenant from their home should be high. It should not necessarily be an easy thing. As many people pointed out tonight, the relationship between landlord and the tenant is not an equal one. Uh, what we were seeing in Ithaca and across the nation is a housing crisis. The cost of housing and the cost of rental u- units is going multiple over people's income. It's incredibly destabilizing to the community as they go through it. It's uh, it's funny because when you w- as you talk through that, and I can see the other side. If someone has lived somewhere for three years, that is their home, and their and their plan was never leaving. So I, yeah. I guess I do see that side and giving them larger notice. It's like you lived there for three years. Hey, we're planning on selling because they were making you know long term. At that point, they had no reason to think they weren't leaving. But rental increases the ability. Housing values stay strong when a landlord has the ability to like end a lease if they want, to raise rents if they want, and anything that is going to limit the amount of rent people can charge or, the amount, or, or, or limit what they can do with their property. We saw it during the crisis in 2020 when people could not evict tenants. It got absolutely skewed the other way. And some people like fire sold some properties because yeah. they're like, this person isn't paying rent and I can't pay my mortgage. Yeah. Anymore. So it does. There's anytime it's an extreme one way or another. But yeah, if you get to a point where I, we we saw something similar in some of the California counties we talked about six months ago, where as long as people pay their rent, you couldn't evict them ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: It's interesting. I was going to ask if you'd seen something like this in other other cities or states. I exception was
0: if you moved into. So if you were going to move into into it yourself. Mm. So if you were going to, you you could give less notice or you could still do the just cause if you were going to move back into the home. So it's kind of saying you have the freedom to own your home and live in it, but you don't have the freedom to fully um, have all the rights as an investor. If it's just an investment, you have less rights than if it's your home.
1: It's interesting. Yeah. It's it's interesting. So this was tabled at the last meeting. There's another meeting coming up. I think, I think it's actually tonight Um, and they're going to discuss it, but there won't be, it won't be voted on. Somebody from our landlords association had asked for like a committee to be put together um, to discuss this further and really dig into it and really put something together. Um, and they said if a committee was considered, that they would not allow any landlords on it. Um, so that that idea actually got squashed yeah. right away too.
0: That's like a jury of your peers,
1: like they're like, no, yeah.
0: Or we want it to be all people that that have one opinion on that committee.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I said when landlords would be renting a tenants and understand they would not have the option to terminate and conduct release. Yeah. Same comment in there at the end, they're saying it's going to be unreasonable or it's going to lower prices or there will be less. There's there's multiple sides of the housing crisis too, because not everybody can afford to buy a home and not everybody can qualify to buy a home. Mm-hmm. So one of the concepts is the idea that, well, it's a, it's a, it's a housing crisis. And if landlords own all the properties and it's stopping other people from owning it, it's a... You know, I think the listeners know I'm skewed on this issue. I'm biased. I am a landlord. I love being a landlord and having rights of a landlord. So um, there's probably a lot of stuff on the other side that I don't see all the way. Although I do try, I try to see both sides yeah. uh, of the issue as we go through. And that's in Ithaca itself, not the state of New York, or is it the whole state?
1: No, this is the city of Ithaca. It's already been passed up in Albany in New York. Um, So they already passed that through, but I guess they're waiting to uh, see if this is even allowed and the attorney general hasn't really spoken up about it. I am probably mixing up some terms there, but yeah, so we don't need, so there it's, there's a lot to it. And I mean, like, I think that it comes from, so there's the Ithaca tenants union who they're the ones that drafted this bill and it comes from like a good space, right? Like just trying to protect people and take good care of people. Like it obviously comes from a good space, but yeah, it's interesting.
0: Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Erdemuja Stegi and I'm interrupting myself To bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors and I know I know you guys would much rather listen to the content and not the ads and not the sponsors but this is one that I'm actually super super excited with you know so many of the realtors that we interview on the show they talk about how much systems are important and how much follow-up is important and I'm really really excited about our new sponsor there's somebody I've been looking at for a long time and when they reached out to me I said yes we have to be able to do this deal so that sponsor is follow-up boss you know on an interview last week with agent mark mcguire i asked him what his favorite software and what his favorite system was and he said it was follow-up boss and then he went on for another three or four minutes to talk about why follow-up boss was the best crm he uses so there's a lot of superstars out out there that use follow-up boss some of the stats they gave me robert slack 1.5 billion team in florida number one in the u.s he uses follow-up boss to get a 400 percent roi on its massive paid lead spend deborah beagle co-owner of the ashton group in nashville uses follow-up boss to guarantee the agents who join her team get two homes under contract in the first 90 days that's a big guarantee for new agents Barry Jenkins of your friends in real estate uses Follow Up Boss to automate everything so his team can produce 200 million on 25 hour work weeks. All right, so here's an offer. You guys are gonna get this special for being Real Estate Rockstars listeners. Now I've I've used Follow Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing, and what what do you know, best name ever, Follow Up. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, you get a 30 day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com forward slash rockstars. So again, followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30 day free trial and check it out. Especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet, this will be a great one for you to start with. All right, everybody, thanks again. Now back to our show. All right, next article you sent over, CBS News, says the top 10 housing markets of 2022. Think Boise, not New York City. We've seen a lot of these articles near the end of the year. You know, Different people research them and they show kind of different things going on. Um, but it said, it said like the top four or five on there. First one says Salt Lake City, Utah. They're predicting sales changes of 15% uh, increase in sales and predicted price change increases of 8.5%. Uh, over the next 12 months. Median home price there, $564,000. Boise, Idaho, uh, median home price, 503000 Spokane, Washington, price change going up 7.7%. Median price, $419,000. i am a little surprised about Washington. They've had a lot of kind of a- anti-homeowner laws coming out this last year. Were there any on the list that you were surprised by?
1: No, I thought it was interesting, but I can't really say that I was surprised by any of them. I don't know what I don't. I didn't really have any expectations, so right, like, yeah. Um,
0: I'm surprised I don't see any Texas ones on here. I shared something on my social media chart maybe a, a week or two ago that had essentially the top 30 housing markets and predictions for the next year. It was from a different source, and one of those was saying San Antonio, Texas, they believe would see a 17% price increase over the next wow. 12 months. So this article is a little bit more conservative than that their highest price change uh, estimator is eight and a half percent but as we run it out it says salt lake city was number one boise city number two spokane valley three indianapolis indiana columbus ohio providence warwick rhode island massachusetts greenville anderson Malden, south carolina seattle tacoma washington again i'm surprised by that one worcester massachusetts connecticut um and then tampa uh, St Petersburg, Clearwater, Florida, you know Florida's had those booms, a lot of just kind of random places as they go through that analysis. but overall, it just said many big cities like New York City and Los Angeles are forecast to see price appreciation, but not to match the smaller cities. So if they were going to if you were going to summarize that article with one, it would probably be those they're, they're saying it's not the cities that we're going to see the biggest changes on.
1: yeah
0: I recently saw an article that said Austin is going to become the most expensive real estate market outside of LA uh, in the next, in the next few months. And we're, I'm feeling that here and I'm seeing that, but it's wild because the draw that brought me to Texas years ago was the price comparison compared to, compared to California, because like the median home price in the, in the little town that I invest in North of Austin, when I moved out here, the median home price was $90,000. Yeah. Right. So that's awesome. And they were new construction. There was so much wow. new stuff being built, and the wow. median home price is $90,000. And now we're seeing big, big price hikes. You know, Parker, who was with us in uh, Nashville, he said, God, What's the, did he, do you remember the town that he said he was from?
1: Oh, no. I don't, I feel bad. No. Oh, gosh.
0: The, I was, I was going to pull up his state, the, uh, and now I'm going to have to find it. And to see yeah, to re-remember right. re- where he's at. Cause he had said uh, out there too that they're having just these this crazy growth and a lot of you know startups are moving up there and they've thought the same thing that they're gonna start to see a lot of it was Arkansas, I wanna say Bentonville, Arkansas. Um, familiar. yeah, so anyway, these said in, in Arkansas, some of the stats that they were showing was a lot of tech companies moving out there um, and starting to you know, say that they're pulling in people were moving there instead of Texas. So we'll see where that market goes. And before the the podcast, I'll, I'll make sure that I get that stat right on there. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Mucciasteghi with a quick commercial break. Now you've been listening, you've been waiting, and now the big rent ready mystery can be revealed. Rent ready just launched. Rental property accounting for landlords. It's so new, I haven't even got a chance to check it out yet. Now you can easily connect your rental properties from Rent Ready to an accounting software created specifically for landlords with Rent Ready's newest partner, REI Hub. Now I've used a lot of payment processing systems in the past, and it's always been a challenge, even asking them to generate APIs so it can talk to our existing systems. And they're really be any type of software that collects payments. Doesn't make it very easy to do that. But now with Rent Ready, you can automatically transfer properties and charges from your Rent Ready profile. You can track your income and expenses with matching rules and payment templates to speed up your bookkeeping. View your profit and loss or cash flow by property or unit. Get your portfolios, balance sheets, schedule ease, and more. Guys, we're so excited about this. And here's something even more exciting. As always, with Rockstars, you get a special, special opportunity. If you're not currently using Rent Ready, you can sign up using our special code ROCKSTAR50 and get 50% off your rent ready subscription. Once you set up your properties, you can add rental property accounting as a premium feature. If you're currently using rent ready, go check out the new accounting features designed to save you time and money while you manage your business. And remember, it's rent ready with an I at the end R E N T R E D I dot com. Thanks for listening. Go check them out. What else we got? So I had a. An article, we've talked about it before. The DOJ to appear in court in an appeal of pocket listing lawsuit against NAR. So this has been there's a lot of lawsuits over the past year about pocket listings, whether they're legal, and different things that the Realtors Association started to do to say a pocket listing does not benefit the seller. Essentially, if you want to get, if you're gonna properly represent your seller, you need to list it on the market because that's your chance of getting the best sale for it. It says DOJ to appear in court in appeal of pocket listing lawsuit. The agency, which is currently investigating the Trade Association's Clear Cooperation Policy, says defending its interest in the application of antitrust. In May 2020, PLS, formerly a private listing network for real estate agents, filed a federal lawsuit against NAR and the California Regional MLS, Bright MLS, Midwest real estate data over a policy designed to curb pocket listing. The suit alleged the defendants had violated the Federal Sherman Antitrust Act for adopting the controversial Clear Cooperation Policy, which requires listing brokers to submit a listing to their MLS within one business day of marketing a property to the public. So, they could essentially email something out to somebody, but as soon as it became marketed as "Hey, here's a house that we're selling," it had to be on MLS. And what that really, what that law really does is, if you are a licensed agent, you cannot also be a wholesaler,
1: mm.
0: right? Because wholesalers <laughs> will essentially like send out an email and go, "Hey, I got this one locked up. Will you sell it for this?" And that law was saying it's illegal. Um, to if you're an agent, if you're a realtor, you can't send out an email to sell something without it being on MLS. And it's been getting battled. The company that filed a suit against it, one of the guys that started it was one of the million dollar listing guys we've had on the show. Um, so if I look really quick, the private listing network, what do you think about kind of that law? Do you think it benefits? Do you think private listings can benefit home, homeowners? Or do you think that, um, that the realtor association is right?
1: I mean I guess it's, it depends on the situation right I would say in general I I personally feel like it doesn't benefit the home the seller that putting it out on the MLS getting the most attention will get you your best offer right um, but certain situations are like sellers don't they don't want it being marketed they don't want signs in the yard they 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 want it kept a little more a little quieter so I don't know I guess it's situ- it's based on each situation
0: yeah, the guy, one of the guys that started, James Harris. So he's from uh, from Million Dollar Listing, um, and we've we've had him on. We we interviewed him on the podcast before, and so yeah, these guys had set up the network for a way that they could essentially be able to pocket list a whole bunch of properties, all different levels. And it was kind of if you sign up for this special network, um, you would hmm. get access to these ahead of time. So it was kind of in between being a wholesaler and the MLS. It was like an exclusive thing to pay for uh, yeah, to get access to it. So the MLS didn't like that. So we'll see what ends up happening with that. But this has been going now, I I think it just said on there, May 2020. So I remember when we first started talking about that. I think pocket listings, um, I think it's true. I think pocket listings do not help the seller. Uh, It does not help them sell their property for top dollar, even if they don't want to go with the showings and things like that. Supply Mm -hmm. demand, the more people that know about your property and the price, the better chance you're going to sell it.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and
0: um, so I actually agree. By Re- realtor.com didn't have to legally make it a policy, right? But they wanted to make a statement that said, uh, "We want to make sure that we're representing sellers the best possible way." If you're yeah. a realtor, you're representing your your seller the best way, and they and they decided that the best way was not doing a pocket listing. Um,
1: I think we the only have, the only a lot of pocket listings out here. I
0: think the only advantage of a pocket listing could be. You know, if you had a house on the market for nine months, right? If it's so, if it's a really special sort of property, if it's on for nine months because it was going to take a unique buyer. There's a twenty million, you know, twenty million dollar property. There's only two or three, you know, buyers in the world in a certain area that want that property. Mm-hmm. And so, if you put it on MLS and it stays on the market for nine months, then everybody gets bad. It you know, gives the property bad juju, things like yeah. that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That would be the case if somebody's like kind of wants to sell their house. And maybe they understand that by doing it a pocket listing, they're not going to sell it for top dollar, but there's pros and cons. But yeah, I, I agree with the realtor with at least their, their concept of they think that you know, they needed to make that a law in order to better support uh, sellers that hire realtors. And, and when it first came out, they were being pretty vicious on like finding people for doing it. So as they found, oh. I was thinking that it would lead to less wholesaling. I'm still getting way too many wholesale emails. <laughs> so, so it hasn't, hasn't changed it yet. What else we got? So did we talk about the Albany's groundbreaking eviction law draws fire from landlords? Is this the same? Yeah, this is kind Uh, of related
1: to that um, good cause eviction one um, that we looked at earlier, that they've actually implemented it in Albany.
0: And the tenants cannot be removed from their home without meeting one of the grounds for eviction. Uh, The law gives tenants a right to release and protects them from annual rent increases of more than 5%. That's huge. Like that five percent number. Our rents right now get raised at a minimum of eight percent and then up to whatever fair market value is. And in some places, we've seen just these huge changes. And the best thing we can do in residents are like, hey, that's too big of a change. We can tell them, well, we own we own another house in the neighbor in that neighborhood that can match your price. Do you want to move over here instead? Oh,
1: I like that. That's a good idea.
0: So, and we try to encourage them with that. We'd say we tell them you can move from this house to another one. You won't have to resubmit your deposit. Um, we'll even give you two weeks of overlap, to like you know we 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 want to keep residents right um right. Good but time. if a, yeah. but if a property is rented for four hundred dollars below fair market rent, the other people you have to service are business partners and you know and investors yeah. and things like that so you've got just just as there's an obligation for people in there, you have an obligation to any of your partners to uh, be as successful with their uh with their money as you can right. So here was a thing I, I hadn't heard of, and it just came out in an article in Inman this week. It was really, it's a venture capital article about this company. It's been around for a little while, but it says, HomeTap raises $60 million to bankroll the growth of its home equity business. And we've seen a lot of like cool kind of companies com- come around over the last year of, hey, buy this house. We'll make a cash offer for you. We'll actually own it, and you can move into it while you sell your old house. So there's a there's another company out there that would say that. They would say, hey, if you want to buy this other house uh, and you're and you have to sell your own house first, we'll buy the other one for you. You can move in now. You can furnish your old house and sell it for top dollar, and then we'll sell it to you. And there, there's cool ways for people to be able to jump. This one, as it said, for homeowners considering tapping into their home equities, the options have typically involved taking out a new loan, such as a home equity line of credit. Under home taps model, an investor essentially buys a share of the home's future value, providing cash upfront for the homeowner. When the home sells, the investor makes their money back. Homeowners can also settle with the investor without selling the property. So when accessing their their equity, homeowners often use it to pay off high interest debt. But it's kind of like buying a share. So they would say, and I just raised $60 million to kind of continue the growth. December 6th, now the funding raise, which will go toward adding new employees, rolling out products and mortgage brokers. But they could essentially say, hey, Kelly, um, we're going to buy 20% of your house, right? We're not going to put a home equity line on it. We're going to give you $60,000 right now. We're going to buy 20% of that. And so now when you go to sell it, we get the first 60 of it. And then any upside above X, we're going to, they're going to share in the profit of like 20% of the profit. So
1: they're,
0: yeah, they're investing alongside, but I, th- but I think it's based on, it's not based on people's credit or their income or things like that. It's specifically based on the house.
1: And the, Okay. Yeah. Cause I would, I, I'm thinking like what, what, what reason would a homeowner choose this over like a HELOC or a home equity loan, but totally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If somebody has access to both, I think a HELOC is better. I think HELOC yeah. absolutely be better. Cause then you have a hundred percent. It's the same thing. Yeah. You have a hundred percent control in your, pro- of your property. Plus you get a hundred percent of the upside and usually HELOC is super affordable. Um,
1: yeah. But this so- is, this must be, what's this faster? Na- they don't do like credit checks. Like it's not really based off of your performance as a.
0: Yeah. It doesn't say in here, but I think from reading through kind of their way, it's, it's very fast funding they talk about. So I think it's probably similar to almost like hard money lending, right? Like hard money lenders can say, Hey, we still need some stuff done, but we can fund this deal in four or five days. Yeah. Whereas, um, you know, a, a HELOC is not a quick process.
1: Interesting. Uh, I had not heard of this. That's, that's, that's very interesting.
0: First time I heard it for the last year, there's been so much less talk about tech and, and like, in 2019, we were talking about these MLS lawsuits all the time. We were talking about you know um, tech companies and all these new ways to sell houses and all these new technologies. Yeah. And over the last year, the whole conversation has been like, no, all you have to do is list a house on the market and we'll sell. <laughs> you don't need any of these fancy tricks. Just sell your house. Just yep. sell your house. Just sell your house and make a cash offer over asking. And so I think this could be a sign of the market going a little bit closer to what people have been used to if they've been, I don't want to say normal anymore, but like what it's been like, you know, if you're going to average out the last 10 years of we'll start, maybe we'll start to see some more creative tech companies coming into place um, because people do have a lot of equity. And so yeah. maybe like, Hey, I've got a lot of equity, but I can't qualify for the HELOC. I don't want to sell my home yet, but I would like that money now. Yeah, or they're thinking about, if they are thinking about selling their house in six months, maybe that's a really quick way. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. that right makes
1: sense. Interesting.
0: A couple more quick articles. I guess I only have one more quick article. The million dollar question, do $1 million Freddie Mac mortgages conflict with affordable housing missions? So Redwood Trust, which issues jumbo loans that are off limits to Fannie and Freddie, said in a new critique that costlier markets are better served by private lenders. Higher loan limits for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac unnecessarily expand the gov- government-backed mortgage giants for footprints into markets better served by private lenders and detract from their mission of supporting housing affordabilities. According to one of the nation's biggest issuers are private label mortgage-backed securities that they issued jumbo loans and they're saying at the new limits, Fannie, Fannie and Freddie will be assuming risk on mortgage to home buyers with incomes well in excess of national median. So they're kind of saying, and they're a little biased, but they're saying Fannie and Freddie Mac should stay out of the jumbo business. They shouldn't raise limits up to a million dollars because Fannie and Freddie is supposed to be for affordable housing. Hmm. And they're saying if your loan is a million dollars or more, you're not in an affordable income bracket. You're not in a low income bracket. You're not in the 80% category on some of those things and but also just as you get to read as I read through some of that I think that that's a uh, little bit biased because they're saying hey we can't compete with that either because yeah, like private market. Mortgage, yeah <laughs> I, I don't have a great interest rate on my house when I bought mine I um, it's it's funny I it is when I go to try to qualify if you're self-employed like I am I have no w-2 with anything and it's always a little bit more challenging Right. And I go through that process where, all right, at that time I owned a couple principal residences, big house in Austin. I think my rate's like five and a quarter um, for a jumbo loan. Like that's a high interest rate compared to what was going on out there. But part of it is because I couldn't, in our price point for it, like I couldn't get a government backed loan. Mm. And so it had to be a smaller, it's like a local bank that's the lender on it. And they. Yeah. And the cool thing about them is they look more at the actual person, yeah. right? Or the deal. They're like, okay, if these are your businesses and this is what you're doing, then that's fine. And so they do it, but they charge a little bit more. So I could see why banks and lenders that are at that like five and a quarter mark or five percent, they're traditionally you know, a percent or a percent and a half more than uh, the government backed loans. I could see why they would want to say that, but that's a pretty biased article. In yeah. my, what, do, what do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. It sounds pretty biased, but and but then again, like like you said, if it's a government backed and it's supposed to, you know, work with people who need who are in the afford- need more, uh, an affordable loan, I, like you said, a million dollars is a uh, quite a high price point.
0: Yeah, it's jumping out of that mission for sure. The um, how are your investments going?
1: Good. We have uh, two under contract. Two, uh, one's a burr, one's like a burr B and B. So hoping to close on those in January, February. And, uh, let's see, everything else is good. We had, I think I told you, we had like, a inherited a a tenant that it was, took us like a year to like, we didn't even end up evicting her. She abandoned the apartment and we had to go through that whole process. I think I talked about that last time. So it feels good to be on the other side of that.
0: (laughs) Right. Now you're done. The, and so to go through like the burr market where you're at, so how much are you going to pay for that one? Um, that you're in contract for, for right now, what are you going to do to it? How much is it going to rent for? How much is it going to be worth?
1: Yeah, this one um, was, is super interesting and a lot of fun. So this is this is one that we are have negotiated a purchase price of 85,000. It probably needs like 20 to 30,000, just needs a little love, like nothing crazy. And then the after repair value should be two 225. It's got a lot of... Wow, so about
0: how we're buying it for eighty five thousand, you'll yeah. be like one fifteen all in, and then it'll be worth two twenty five. And the whole concept of the burr is after you've owned it for a certain amount of time, you get that appraisal based on two twenty five. You cash out one hundred percent of your yeah money. What will it rent for? You think?
1: Um, what we were thinking about, ah, fifteen hundred to eighteen hundred. Yeah. Um, so it'll be it's in it's in a really good area. It should continue to appreciate. It's going to be you know we're going to hold it. We'll just cash out our money. Yeah, we're excited yeah. about it.
0: That will cover, that will cover a loan. That'll cover $140,000 loan. Yeah. Fine. And the, and so you should be able to, with, with how did you get, how did you buy that one? How'd you find it?
1: Um, so I think I, t- I don't, I think I mentioned this quick, briefly when we saw each other the other day, um, we uh, had, I've had two people come to me and offer to give us funding for our projects now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so this is with private, private lending. And then we'll um, obviously cash out of that. Yeah, refinance out of it. But yeah, a private lender came to me and said he wanted to start doing deals. And so did another one. <laughs> so now they're competing against each other.
0: So more than once you've had a seller die in the middle of a transaction. I, I'm sure there are Not listeners funny. out I there. Yeah. No, but it's like a crazy challenge to have to deal with. I think there's probably a lot of listeners that have never, when you said that, I'm like, what happens? I've never had that happen. What happens? My assumption is the deals just get canceled because it's going to take too many months to do anything else. Is that what happens? Or what do people hope happen? Or yeah. what advice would you give to somebody if they if they have a listing and all of a sudden that happens? Like, cause Those I've
1: is my, so the have have been they're very different, um, situations. So the first one was the seller was alive, but she was very, obviously she was 104. Um, and she had her granddaughter as her power of attorney. And okay. um, but she also had a daughter listed on the deed with her. But she was her her granddaughter was running the show and she was just signing as her POA. Um, and then so after we got it listed, but not on hadn't accepted an offer yet, she passed away. Um, and then it and then it became so then the granddaughter is completely out of the picture. She's not allowed to make any decisions, sign for anything, um, because now it's just the daughter's name on the deed. So she then took over control. We had to have her resign all of the papers. And that one was actually it was very sad and it was it required a little bit of extra work but pretty overall pretty smooth. This other one, we are literally like a week from closing and one of the sellers passed away. This one again the attorneys were able to handle. The wife was still still alive and so um I don't know what went on behind the scenes with the attorneys, but they were able to keep the closing date. We're still moving forward with the closing. So that one really did not get delayed at all. There was a couple of days where we were trying to figure out what to do, but it got, it got handled between the two attorneys and everything is rolling forward. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Not bad. So I know some States have a, essentially when you deed a property, you can say like these two people own it as joint tenants in common. And what, and I don't. And I think that's the. I think in that one, if one per party dies, the property automatically goes to who's left to keep control. And that and that's kind yeah. of the reason behind it. So it doesn't stop control of it, knowing that people's people's trusts and people's wills can still deal with you know the money that's owed and things like that. But I think yeah. that joint joint tenant in common idea. So laws will be different everywhere um, on yeah. on how to do that and trust. But I think spouses are different than joint tenants are different than uh, if you know, if there's only one seller and that seller dies, like you're definitely starting over.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's on that first one. I think if the, if the daughter had not also been on the deed, then it would have, we would have had to stop. It probably would have had to go into what's that. Um, There's a term where uh, probate, it would have had to go into yeah. probate. Uh, and that, up here takes like six to nine months. So yeah, that would have, that would have been a totally different story. But when you first but, said
0: it, I was thinking probate and attorneys and like, how can you, how can you save it? But now it makes more sense. Well, cool. Yeah. So the, any um you know we're kind of we're rounding up our rounding out our hour here for the state of the market for this week any any last thoughts you you want to mention for the end of the year or thoughts about the real estate market in general or things you're excited oh, about
1: yeah i'm excited so last year 2021 was like december 2020 so was like we slowed down a little bit i'm not kidding january 2nd we were off and running again at least my business was and i had clients reaching out so i'm i'm all crossing my fingers for another another year like that but yeah,
0: yeah. I think if I was going to make a bold pre- prediction right now as it slows down I would say that in January again if you're if you're a long-term investor I think you should start trying to buy properties in January because I think people will have a couple months of like take a little bit longer right now for stuff to get sold people might be a little bit more willing to sell those deals and I think in most cases if you buy a house in January it's going to be worth more when we're sitting here doing this podcast yes. a year from now. So,
1: yeah.
0: Um, for, I mean, as always, if we're buying houses to live in, you just find the one that you can afford forever that you love and you stay there. Uh, but if you're an investor or people are wondering what's going to happen with the housing market, I think that everything is pointing to it still going another year. And if you're struggling in your own market, just think back to what it felt like a year ago. Talk to people, look at those emails from back then, look at the news from back then. And if it feels last year a lot like it did now, then maybe that's a, a tune of what's to come. So Kelly, thanks for joining me on the State of the Market this week.
1: Thanks for having me, Aaron. I always and love thanks
0: it. For, thanks for bringing some great articles too. And the uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again soon as we get to talk about the real estate news. I love getting your perspective. And Real Estate Rockstars, thanks for listening. All right, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show.